All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn open with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath your seat, and we would love for you to take that home with you if you don't have a copy of God's Word. That is our uh, Christmas gift uh, to you, so you can't say we didn't give you anything. There you go. Uh, as you guys are turning, I just want to, man, just brag on our team. That was so good. Thank you for leading us uh, this morning. Thank you guys for singing out. It's just so encouraging to hear our voices lift up. Some sounding better than others, <clears throat> but we all are making a joyful noise. I'm talking to myself here. I can't sing. It's why I'm up here now instead of earlier. Anyway, uh, some of the rich, richest songs you'll ever hear are some of those old just Christmas just carols, I guess you would call them. They're just such rich theology. Love them, love them. And that song, Forever, we sing that a lot at Easter and Forever He is Risen. And our worship team across both campuses rewrote that Christmas version. Wasn't that awesome? Oh, I love that. And then our We Wait song that we sang there at the end. Just so thankful we get to do this with a team that loves God's Word, get to sing God's Word. And the gift, we were talking about that as a team this morning, the gift of singing. Like we could just, I'm about to talk about truth and, you know, I kind of enjoy doing that. And he's ordained preaching for that purpose. But he's also given us the gift of song. That we can sing the truths of God's word because there's something so good and so beautiful about what he's done that we just have to sing it out. Our hearts just overflow uh, with joy. So thank you for doing that and for being the type of church that sings uh, together. Uh, Over the last month or so, you guys know my life's been just different change with little baby Bo coming into the world. Uh, If you're a guest with us, we had our firstborn son uh, a month ago yesterday. He's awesome, by the way. If if you're not worried, I'm a very proud dad, uh, in case you're wondering. Uh, But this month has been, um, man, it's been so refreshing for me. Yes, sleep deprived in many ways and just chaos in our home. Uh, But it's been so refreshing because I've kind of got to take some time away and just really spend some time in prayer because I'm up all hours of the night and so what better to do than pray right and so really been thinking about the church and praying for you all uh, praying for my own heart I'm just gonna be honest with you Uh, can we do that in church can we be honest Uh, the pastor here uh, has just been tired uh, spiritually I've just been really tired no necessarily reason for that I don't think there's that many unconfessed sin in my life like it's just my my soul is just tired and so it's been a real season of, of just refreshing and a refocusing on what, uh, what the Lord is doing here, but what he has done and what that means for the church. And so I had this renewed um, fire or something down inside of me uh, for the local church. Um, I believe in the local church. I love you and what that means. And the church is not a building. It's not programs. It's people. Uh, it's people, and so I'm just so thankful to be here with you guys. Thankful to be back in the pulpit. It's good uh, to be back. But as I've been thinking about this story, we've been, so if you're guests with us, we've been trekking all throughout the year through the Bible together. So we started back in Genesis in January, and we've just been reading the Bible through as a church family. And so on the weekends, we come together, and we're preaching from a portion of our reading from the week before. And there's only like three weeks left of that. How crazy is that? Um, so we're in Philippians today, but as I was looking, thinking about Advent and kind of uh, looking at the Christmas story again this week, a phrase that I think we read last week in our Advent reading, in our worship gathering, uh, was when the angel's proclaiming uh, and says that when he's talking about the birth of Christ. And he says, there will be good news, so a proclamation of what is going to be accomplished. Good news of great joy. And that joy will be for all people. Good news we need good news, right? We don't need more good advice. We have plenty of bad news. We need good news. And it's what the gospel offers us, that there's something that's been done, and Christ has entered into this. But that good news, this gospel that we talk about, that many of us have grown up in church 
believing and hearing preached over and over and over again. That good news has a specific purpose. Is that good news is to bring great joy. And we talk about that a lot in this church, that Jesus is our joy, right? He is the delight of our souls. Nothing else will satisfy. That's what idolatry is. We look to other things to be the fulfillment that really can only be found in God and God alone. This good news of what Christ has accomplished for us in his coming and his living and his dying and his resurrecting and his ascension and his intercession for us today and his soon return. All of that is for your joy. It's for your joy. That's not happiness because happiness is based on what's happening around you. But joy is rooted in Jesus. And you have Jesus. We have everything we need in Christ. So Christ has come for our joy. But listen, that joy is not just about you. It's not just about me. It is individual. It is a personal relationship with Jesus. It is coming to see yourself for who you are, to see him for who he is, and repenting of your sin, turning from yourself, turning from your sin, and putting trust and faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. It is very personal. But listen, it is much bigger than just about me and Jesus. That Jesus came precisely to do something, and it was to ransom a people for himself. A people from every tribe, every tongue, and every language, every people group of this world. It's much bigger than Johnson City. We are here in this room on mission to love South Johnson City and the surrounding neighborhoods, to be intentional, to plant ourselves in the middle of this community. It is for all of our friends and neighbors and enemies outside of these walls, but it expands past Johnson City, yes to Johnson City, but to the ends of the earth, that all nations might find this joy in Jesus. That's what it is. That's that's the Christian life. That's what Advent is about, is to enjoy God. And from our overflowing of joy, we work and we labor and we sacrifice and we risk all things for the joy of others. That's the goal. That's the big bullseye that's at the middle of this church and all true Bible-believing evangelical local churches. It's for all people. Think about this. Advent is about, really, the church. And I've struggled so much. I thought, man, I need to preach from Luke 2 today, you know, because it's Christmas, and I'm supposed to do like the traditional Christmas sermon. I'm not going to do that today. Uh, I want us to see it from a little different of an angle uh, because as we were reading through, like we come to the book of Philippians in our reading last week, and I've just been reading this book over and over again because it's kind of short, and this book is just so rich and so beautiful about what that means for Christ to come to form an us. And us, the church, that is much bigger than Tri-Cities Baptist Church. It is the church throughout history and throughout the world. But it does include us. This covenant of believers here. It includes us. What does that mean? That Advent makes the church possible. That is a very good reason of why he came. To form a people. And so, I love what, what, how this book starts. Philippians 1 verse 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And it starts off introducing you to this guy that wrote this book. So we've been trekking through the old whole Bible. So we've seen that God raises up people to serve as prophets and priests and kings to call out a people, the Old Testament Israel. And they rejected him and turned from him, would not follow uh, their king, the king, God. And that Jesus came into the world. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about the person and work of Jesus. And now what's happened is that the Holy Spirit has now come upon us. And we've been talking about that the last two weeks, that the, the mystery of the gospel is that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That he has now formed a people in us called the church. That it was always his plan to form a people that he might display his glory, listen, to those people. That we could see his glory 
And that through those people, that they might display His glory to the ends of the earth. Glory experienced and glory extended. He's always had that purpose, to call out a people. Old Testament is Israel, and then the fulfillment of that is the church in the New Testament. A people and us. That's been the plan of God unfolding throughout the scriptures we've been spending 12 months walking through. So just scratching the surface of. And then you see this guy named Paul, formerly named Saul. And, and, and you see him writing this letter. So all the New Testament that we've been walking through, we're looking at several of the letters. So Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. If you're kind of new to this old church thing, those are letters penned by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were called apostles that spoke on behalf of God, that had seen the resurrected Jesus, and are now writing Scripture. That, that, that's done. We have the Scriptures now. But he's writing letters to individual churches. You see that? It's not just the individuals. He's writing. He does that in some cases. But the, in many cases, he's writing in the context of a local church. So today, we're reading to this. He's writing to this church at Philippi. It's a, it's a local church, much like this one thousands of years ago and he's writing this letter on behalf of God speaking the words of God and he's saying something to this local church but listen here's the amazing part of this is that Paul is not some hero okay Paul was formerly Saul and when he met Jesus you guys remember the story in Acts how he encountered the resurrected Christ he's on his way to Damascus to do what to kill Christians so the guy that we're reading that has written Scripture was a terrorist. Like, I mean, he's going to slaughter people like us and thinking he's doing it zealously for religion, to stuff out the name of Jesus from expanding. And, and God has other plans for his life. And in grace, God reveals himself to Saul while he's going to just, in, in the height of evil, and he says, I have a purpose for you that you will, listen, carry my name. You will carry my name to the ends of the earth. And we see the, the fulfillment of this. So that's the book of Acts, right? It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. They, they go on these missionary journeys. And he's going where the name of Christ has yet to be named. And as people met Jesus, like the gospel saves. Amen? Like he experienced the salvation of the gospel. Like I'm not the same. He sees this blinding light. And God had to humble him knocked him off his horse, literally, and blinded him to show him his need for Jesus, that I am who I say I am. And Paul was radically transformed, even so much that he changed his name to Paul, and he's now terrorist-turned-missionary church planter to the unreached. And he's going and planting all of these churches, and he's going and seeing people. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. He said, hey, Christ has come. Christ has taken your place. And people were repenting and believing in Jesus that had never heard his name. And for the first time, there's groups of believers. And what Paul would do is he would disciple them. He would raise up leaders within these cities, and then churches would be born. And then Paul would go to the next city, and the next city, and the next city. And you can see that, that movement happen. As people met Jesus, and as they were discipled, and as leaders were raised up, churches were planted. So we don't plant churches around here. We make disciples who make disciples, and the outworking of that is church planting. See that? That's the model of the, of the New Testament. It's what happens. And so Philippians is one of those places. So we see the author that he's writing here. He's now one of their pastors. And he's experienced this grace of God. He's experienced this mystery of Advent, of Jesus coming, and has radically changed his life. But that was the purpose of his life. When he encountered God, he says, I can't live this way anymore. If this is true, it changes everything. 
And he gave himself to the advancement, yes, of the gospel, but through the context of the local church. That's what he did. He gave his life to that. And so this church at Philippi, this is one of the first cities that Paul journeyed to after the, his call, of the Macedonian call. And if you guys remember the stories in Acts where Lydia and the slave girl and the Philippian jailer, when all those guys met Jesus, this was in this city. It was one of their first uh, converts of that city. And later Paul goes on a second missionary journey and plants this church with those believers. So this is a church that's dear to Paul's heart. He's seen it started and he's raised up pastors and he's left, but now he's writing back to them. So it's in that context, okay? So here's what's happening in the meantime. Paul is writing not on a yacht somewhere, okay? He's writing from prison. And he's been in prison because he keeps going and preaching the name of Jesus. And they say, hey, stop preaching the name of Jesus. And he goes, I cannot stop preaching what I've seen and heard. And he keeps advancing the gospel, and the government of that day wants to silence him. So now he's writing this from prison. So that's the context. But here's the theme that runs all throughout the book is this theme of joy. Paul uses that word over 16 times in just this short little letter to this church. Joy is the theme of this book. And so he's writing to them saying, you can have joy. And he said, I have joy even though I'm in prison. But I'm writing for you to have joy. So despite whatever circumstances are going on around you, despite whatever's going on in your heart, no matter what the deception of your life is telling you right now, the message is joy. It was, the joy, it was the message of the whole Bible. It's the message of the angels that there's good news of great joy. And Paul's writing this church and says, I'm writing for your joy. And your joy is going to be experienced as you are living in fellowship together as the church. And so what we see is this pastor's heart. So we get an inside look into Paul. He's writing this letter and he's preserved this for us to read today. So we're, go- we're going to get to chapter 1, okay? I'm not preaching the whole book, just chapter 1, kind of chapter 2. Um, so calm down, we'll, we'll, get to di- we'll get to lunch, I promise. He's writing this to this, to this church, and you get to see, we're going to read this, and it's absolutely beautiful, Paul's heart. So yes, this is from God, but Paul gets to write in his own language, and his own kind of personality, and you see the heart of a pastor coming out in, in, these, in this letter. And, and, and I was just struck reading this. I am not the Apostle Paul, nowhere close. But I, it was just jumping off the page and going, man, this is my heart for this church. And, and I want it to be more my heart for this church. And so I know very few of us out here are pastors, but I hope you have the same ownership in this place because it's not just like kind of Derek's thing or Mike's thing or Daniel's thing that we kind of have here. I hope we all have this sense of this is my church. I don't just go to church. This is my church. Like, I have a part in this. I don't just come and consume programs and hear a talk once a week. But, like, this is my family. And so even though we're not pastors and we're not apostles writing holy scriptures, I pray that we can see this and say, God's preserved this for us to read here at the church at Tri-Cities 2,000 years later. And I pray that some of the themes that we see of what a joyful church looks like, that we can see that and say, Holy Spirit, yes. Like, I want that. Like, I want this kind of heart for this place, for these people. I want to see this happen here. So we're going to jump in, but I want to pray for us first. But before I pray, listen, I I want to ask a question. Um, Do you ever dream about what this church, now I'm going to talk about this church, okay? But really, the church, but this church, what it could be. Like, have you ever allowed yourself to go there with your Bible open, not dreaming some arbitrary dreams, but like really with your word open to say, like, this is the vision that I see of the church. 
Like if, I, if we had no context of any kind of background growing up in the church, any kind of hurts that any of us have had in the church, anybody been hurt in the church? I've got my hand up, okay? Let's be honest about it. None of that. We have no uh, frame of reference to compare anything to, and we just had our Bible open, reading the New Testament, and what picture of the church would you get? What would it look like to say, man, let's work for that. Like by the power of the Holy Spirit, because what Christ has accomplished, let's see this happen. That maybe church doesn't have to just be the status quo. Maybe it just doesn't have to be just show up and kind of do some things and we go home. Like what if, like God's dream for the church, that we really could be this picture of a joyful church? What would it look like? What would it look like to love one another and to sacrifice greatly and to risk for the kingdom of God and to hold all of our resources, our money and our time and our treasures and every part of who we are out and say, God, I want to use it for your kingdom. Then I'm going to get messy. And I'm not going to see programs as another box I have to check off and something I have to add to to my life. Because listen, I know we're all busy. I understand that. I'm busy. I'm busy too. But listen, church is not just something you add to your life. Mission is not just something you add to your life. Like, it's seeing your life differently. It's seeing that you had this new identity now as a follower of Christ. And you say, this is just who I am. This is who I belong to. What would that look like? And listen, it's already made possible because what we're celebrating in Advent. It's good news of great joy for all people. We just have to tap in. We just have to be willing to lean in. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump in and and look at some of these marks, okay? So if you'll bow with me and prepare our hearts for what God wants to speak to us today. So Lord, bless the reading and the preaching of your word. What we are not, will you please make us And what we have not, will you please give us? Offer your glory and your honor here and among the nations, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Chapter 1, verse 3. Here's the first mark that we see that Paul's writing. A joyful church is thankful for gospel partnerships. A joyful church is thankful for gospel partnerships. Let's read these first two verses together. Uh, The words will be on the screen. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer, there's our word, with joy. Why? Why is he praying for them in thankfulness? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that word partnership literally means this deep fellowship they have together. That they're united, listen, around something much deeper than just friendships, something much deeper than we have this thing in common. It's much deeper than just age demographics or like what we want to do throughout our week. We are united around the gospel, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And this fellowship is so deep, this partnership. We're, we're together. We are united. That's true. And he says, I'm so thankful. When I think of you, this church, I just my heart just wells up and I'm motivated to praise because of how we have partnered together. Listen, not just in some superficial way, but in the most important thing of the universe, partner together in the gospel. Like that is what the church is. You get this picture of that. It was specific. It's unity. And so listen, verse 7, um, you look down with me in verse 7, Philippians 1, we, are, we can, gospel partnerships are possible because we are partakers of grace. Partakers of grace. Because he says that in verse uh, 7. Let's read it together here. If I can find it here in my Bible. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart 
for you are all partakers with me of grace. So the reason that we are partnering together in the gospel to see this mission advance is much deeper than just, well, I mean, this is what we do. You know, we're supposed to go to church. We're supposed to partner with the gospel. No, no. He says we are partnering together in the gospel because we have been partakers of grace. You know what grace is? You don't deserve the love of God. I don't deserve the love of God. Church is not about people that have it all together. It's about people who have experienced that God's sovereign grace toward us when we did not deserve it to make us new. He says, you have experienced that. You've tasted and seen the grace of God. The grace of God has come to you. He's changed you. You're not the same. And we've done that together. You've seen that happen in me. We have tasted and partook of the grace of God together. And therefore, our partnership is so deep. And I see that so much. I see the evidences of grace in this room. Our stories are these testimonies of grace, of what God has done. That is what unites us. But here's a question. Let's lean in. Is this your experience? Here, uh, but also in just in the church. That you would say, when I say that I'm a part of Tri-Cities Baptist Church, that I am a partner in the gospel with those people. We are doing a mission. We're going the same direction together. And the reason I'm going to do that, it doesn't make sense unless we have been partakers of grace. And I've experienced and tasted the grace of God. Have you ever tasted the grace of God? Have you partook of it? Because that's where you start. You were talking about next steps earlier. That is your next step, is to to see what Christ has done for you. Do not buy the lie of religion. And come here and just do more and try harder and try to add stuff to your to-do list and avoid this list. That is not what we're about. We are about the gospel of Jesus. If you've not partook of this grace, then we invite you to do that. But for those of us, like, lean in. Have you heard each other's stories? Do you know how we are partakers of grace together? Have you coveted together in that kind of way? And then for me, I was really wrestling with this this week, this question. Why am I here um, at this church? Like, number one, why am I called to be a pastor? Why do I do this with my life? Like, why are we in this room? That's a really good question. And I pray it's to say we want to partner together to see the gospel advance. We want to partner together to see the gospel advance in my heart. Does anybody forget the gospel? Just me? Anybody else forget the gospel? Thank you, Brandon, for raising your hand, man. Yes, I forget the gospel. And here's what church is. I need you to remind me of what's true. I need you to look at me when I'm doubting God and say, here's what he's done for you. And that's what the church is. That's what community is. And if you don't have that, I I don't know how you you make it. I don't know how I make it when I isolate myself from that kind of relationship. Man, I want to see that happen. Here's the second mark. A joyful church has confidence in in God's perseverance. A joyful church has confidence in God's perseverance. So Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that He, this is God the Father, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, let's just, back on the whole grace train again, okay? This work of salvation in us, if it has been begun in you, it's because He began that work in you. Like he did this work. He saved you. And that same God who saved you has promised. Look up here, listen. He's promised to keep you. He's not going to let you go. He loses none of his kids. And God is more committed to you. We say this all the time, but don't, don't just check out because you've heard me say it. God's more committed to you than you are to him. 
He's promised. He said, I did this work in you. And listen, I loved you when you were at your worst. You don't get any worse than like dead inside, rebellious, running, like no hope for God. That's what God's, God's word says. No one was seeking after God. He loved you at your worst, Romans says. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if that was true then, if he began that good work in you, he's promised to complete it. It's done. Romans 8 says that he who he justified, he also glorified. Like that is your current standing. Is you're just as, like you're there. He's going to finish what he started in you. So, I have a question. Have you begun to doubt God's work in your life? Have you begun to say like, okay, God, I know I know the doctrines of justification and sanctification, you know, like he's up there talking about, like I know that. And so even up here, you're affirming, yeah, 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 that's right. He's preaching truth, amen, brother. Thankfully, our pastor's not a heretic. That's great, okay? But listen, does the truth of that change you? And have you begun to doubt, are you, God, are you really sanctifying me? Well, Pastor Mike was here preaching last week that nothing will separate us from his love. And God is using all things to mold us to be like Jesus. Have you begun to doubt that? Have you given up that God could ever use you? Maybe because of your past, maybe because you have, you're very well aware of the glaring weaknesses of your soul and you say, there's just no way. And the reason that I keep people at arm's length is I don't want people to see the real me. A marriage is falling apart. I'm doubting God. i got all these gross addictions and sin. And if I really get close, they're going to get in my business. I don't want them in my business. I'm going to actually have to look at somebody if I come into stuff and say, you know what, I've never had a history of reading the Bible, and I don't know the first place to start. And for some of us, that's embarrassing. You know, in the church, we feel like we've got to be something that we're not. And it's like, oh, man, you're never going to experience the life and the transparency and the beauty of the church if we don't just lean in. And we have the confidence when we have an understanding of the gospel that he has began this good work in us. He's begun this, and he will complete it. It's not up to us to finish this. It's not up to us for this church to flourish. It's not up to us to see our neighbors and the nations know Jesus. Like, that's above our pay grade. That's not our job description. But God says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to see my church grow throughout the nations so we can trust him. He will complete what he has started. So listen, do not try to make it on your own. Rest in God's commitment to you. Rest in it. All right, third. So a joyful church has confidence in God's perseverance, is thankful for gospel partnerships, but here's the last one. A joyful church has love for God's people. Love for God's people. Read what what Paul says in verse 7 and 8. It is right, Paul says, for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Notice this, these descriptions of how he feels about them. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So when I read words like that, it seems so far off because loving people is not easy. Anybody with me on that? Like, like It's not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because we're all hard to get along with. Can I get a witness? Amen, man, that's right. And we're all hard to get along with. So it's not just other people to you, it's us to them. And that's just the nature of reality of living in a fallen world. We're all selfish people and we're different and we want people like us. But what Paul is saying, I I don't do this because it's easy. I don't do it because it's convenient. I do it because of the gospel. And I'm yearning in my heart for you with the affection, not just that I drum up out of nowhere, but with the affection of Jesus. 
Like his love. Like I'm loving you with the love of Jesus. That's what, I've experienced the love of God. Now I love him because he first loved me. And now because of that, we ought to also love one another, John would say. That's the, that's the reality of what it means to be the church. This is not some cheap sentimentality. This is a deep commitment to one another. Love and not some emotion. You love regardless of whether or not the emotion's there. Amen, married people? Okay, it's a covenant. So like, I choose to love you. Even if I don't feel anything, I love you because I love you. Because I love you. Because I've committed myself to you. Man, that's what God has for us. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that kind of love? And here's a, here's a big convicting thing for me. Um, will you let other people in to be able to love you that way? Will you actually like let people do that for you? And are you extending that kind of affection and commitment to the people in this room? And back to our question we started with, what would it look like if we did? And I know in many ways we are. And so as Paul would say, excel still more in it. But we all have room to grow here. And so what would it look like to be that kind of church that has this kind of commitment to each other? So here's what we see in, in verse 9. He, start, he keeps going. He says, it is my prayer. It is my prayer. So Paul's describing his heart for these people and what the gospel has done, these marks of a joyful church. And you know his first, next thing out of his mouth? He says, that pushes me to devoted prayer. Like desperate prayer. Because none of that is possible unless it's God doing this in me. That he might do it through me. So he prays. So guys, listen, that is what I'm praying for, this, for us. And for me particularly, I'm terrible at praying. I just am. Like, I pray, and like, here the last few months, like, I've been praying more because I'm just feeling the overwhelming weight of all of this, of just living life and being a husband and a father and a pastor and all this. But I want to be a better prayer. And here's the reason I'm not a better prayer. It's not because I'm just going to do a New Year's resolution and be a better prayer and pray more. It's like we pray more when we get a glimpse of God and we really understand who He is. Like, He's everything. His purposes are good. And then we get a glimpse of ourselves. Because I think the reason we don't pray is because we really do think that we're okay on our own. Because when we pray, it is an act of dependence of, God, I need you to do this. Because if you don't do this, it's not going to happen. I'm going to be obedient in my part that you've given me to steward. But you have to come and you have to empower this. That is when we will be a people of prayer. And I think Paul sees that. Because what he's talking about here, it seems far off. Because like I have not experienced this like this in the church. I want it. How's this going to happen? He said, I moved to desperate prayer for, um, for you. And so let's break down these next few verses together. I'll go through these very quickly. So put your seatbelt on. If you thought that was drinking from a fire hydrant, you ain't seen nothing yet. I've got to get going here. Okay. Here's the first thing. Here's what he prays for. A joyful heart prays for overflowing love. He says, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more. That w- so your love, your s- self-sacrificing for the good of others, that's not based on emotion, I'm praying that that would abound, that it would just be in surplus, in excess. And I'm praying not just that it's in excess, and literally that means more than enough, but I, I love this. In the original language, it says more and more. So in English, it's the same word. In Greek, it's not. Okay, so the first word, he says, with more, the first word refers to action. That, I'm, that love is not just in word only. It's not just say, hey, I love you. No, no, it's, I'm doing something. I'm showing you this love. And it has the idea, I love this, of the nevertheless type of love. It's the love that God has for us. It's I'm going to love you, I'm committed to you, not when you're giving me stuff, but I'm just going to love you nevertheless. No matter what you do to me, I'm going to keep loving you. 
I'm going to keep committing to you. And it's going to change the way I live my life. But the second word refers differently. It says to a greater degree or extent. So we're going to abound in love and self-sacrifice. And we're going to do it with our actions. We're going to show it. And he says, I'm going to keep asking that it goes to a greater and greater extent. This, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. This idea of loving one another. What does that look like in a local church? Second, he says, a joyful heart prays for obedience to truth. So he says, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more and that with all knowledge and all discernment. All knowledge and all discernment. To be a people of this word. To know truth. That's what knowledge means. And discernment. To actually know how to apply that truth. That it's not just enough to know your Bible. And I pray you do know your Bible. Let's keep knowing more of it because we're not even close to understanding this book. But James would say, do not just be a hearer of the word, but what? A doer of it. That's when we're obedient. It's when we understand rightly with our head and we're going to keep pursuing that together as a faith family. But then when that head knowledge gets down to our heart and changes us, and then that transformation of mind and heart actually changes our lives. See, if you get that backward, you start trying to change your life without getting your head and your heart right, you're going to be miserable. But he says, with all knowledge, all discernment, where you know what's true, and then you're able to weigh that truth with other options, to be able to apply it, wisdom, to live it out, to obey it. That's what he prays. I'm praying that for us. I've got to get going so we can go eat. A joyful heart prays for a life spent on what really matters. Verse 10, he says, he prays, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That approve what is excellent literally means this idea of being able to see something of value and to see it as valuable. So it's like you watch the, the show on whatever, Discovery Channel, where they're going around trying to find these treasures in like people's storage buildings or whatever. Like I would be terrible at that because I can't notice something of value. Like I'm like, it all looks like junk to me okay i don't know what's valuable but some of these guys say no, no no we can get a lot of money for this this is, has value that these people aren't aware of that's what it's talking about here that we may approve what is excellent that you can see treasure and say that's treasure listen spoiler alert like that treasure is jesus okay to see jesus to say he is who he is and we see him for that and we don't just go listen we don't just go yeah we don't just kind of, oh yeah, Jesus and church and okay. No, no. You see the surpassing beauty and worth of God revealed through the gospel, displayed and carried out by the church, and we see it as the treasure that it is. And we would do like the pearl of great price parable that Jesus gives us, that we would sell all that we have with great joy to find that. That's what he prays. I'm praying that you see what really matters, and that's what you live for. Guys, listen, I don't want to waste my life. I don't. I don't want to do it. And I don't want to see us as a church just waste our lives. Let's keep really getting before the Lord what really matters. Let's spend our lives doing that thing. You know what that means? That also means if we're approving what is excellent, compared, we see all this other stuff that we're giving ourselves to that's keeping us from that excellent thing, and it might mean we have to kill some stuff. That means we have to walk away from good things to pursue the, the better things. Walk away from it all that you might get Jesus and live for his purposes in this world a joyful heart prays for the gospel to change everything he says filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through jesus so i won't belabor this you hear us talk about this a lot but listen if you're righteous today it's not because you did something you're righteous because jesus did everything 
in your place. So this righteousness that we have is from Jesus. This righteousness that comes through Christ. But listen, notice what he says. The fruit of righteousness. That you can be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Here's what this means. If you've been given the righteousness of Christ, that will produce fruit in you. It will change you. So we don't obey to be loved by God. We obey because we are loved by God. But it will change us. So you are filled. You do have what you need. And you can change. You can produce this fruit. And that's what we're praying, that this gospel would change us from the inside out, holistically. There will be no area of our lives that is not captivated and changed by the gospel of Christ. This is the last one, I promise. He ends, he says, A joyful heart prays for the aim of our lives to be the glory of God. He says, all of these things I'm asking for is to the praise, the glory and praise of God. Because the nature of sin is we focus inward. We want our happiness. We want our plans. We want our comfort. We want our preferences. And what he's saying to us is, I'm praying that you would live not for your glory, not for your kingdom, but for his. You get your eyes off yourself, and I get my eyes off myself, and I'm praying that you spend and be spent for the glory of God. Then he goes on, I won't read it for the sake of time, but read it later, 12, and, 12 through 18. He does this, this, this beautiful just uh, writing here where he's talking about being in prison. He says, I want you to know what happened to me has happened to advance the gospel. He says, I'm writing in prison. But I want you to know, like I'm writing, and what's happened, you you can get discouraged because your pastor's in prison. But like I want you to know, it's it's actually advancing the gospel because people are preaching the gospel, some out of good motives, some out of bad. But you know what? I'm rejoicing because the name of Christ is being proclaimed. Can you say that? Like, what happened to me happened to advance the gospel. Some of us would get set free if we could have that posture of heart. The sin that I was sinned against, the disappointments of my life, all the circumstances that I'm in right now, you know what, I can look and get bitter and, con- and frustrated and confused, and we can go to God with our questions. We can. He's big enough for that, so please do. It's okay not to be okay. But will we have that perspective to say, what has happened to me? The good, the bad, the mundane is to advance the gospel. So if suffering comes to us, we see it as a platform for the gospel. If plenty comes to us, we see it as a platform for the gospel. Is that our heart, are we willing to do whatever it takes to see Jesus praised? Because that's what a joyful church is about. Paul goes on and later and says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We know that, right? We've heard it a lot. But it's in the context of this. He goes, so if I live, it's about Jesus. It's about people seeing Jesus through me. And if I die, I get to be with Jesus. And that's far better. It's far better. That's what I want. But, he's, but he says, I'm going to continue that you might see Jesus in me we suffer well and we unite together well i'm skipping so much um, but man philippians 1 here's the summary of it all he says only let your life be worthy of the gospel of god so i want to ask ourselves that question okay so i'm gonna prove to you that I'm, I'm finishing i want to ask uh that question can you look at the manner of your life Everyday decisions that you're making, what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on, the relationships that you have. And would you, could you say that my life is literally worth the weight? That's what that word worthy means. It's worth the weight. Because so compared to the gospel, my life looks like I believe it. Can you say that? Like the way I spend my days, I can look and say, man, he is putting the gospel on display. 
And that's why in chapter 2, he, he goes on and he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any sympathy from the Spirit, any encouragement in love, complete my joy by being of the same mind, right? And here's what that mind is. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All of this, like this stuff happens because the mind of Christ it's only possible if Jesus is true and what he's done. But if, he, if it is true, it makes it possible. We can be of the same mind. We can, in humility, it says, count others more significant than ourselves. That's what Philippians 2 says. Like, I'm going to count you more significant. I'm not saying you are more significant. We're of equal value because we're created in the image of God. But humility says, I'm going to count you as more significant. I'm going to look after not just my needs, but also the needs of others, Philippians 2 would say. Why in the world would we do that? Why would we be committed in that way? Why would we sacrifice time and why? Only, only, only. There's other reasons. Guilt, you can do it. You can be guilt into this. You can be fearful of what might happen to you if you don't. Some sense of have to. But that just fizzles out quickly. But what doesn't fizzle out is the gospel. When you see that Jesus was the one who lowered himself, the exalted one became nothing. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And he walked among us. And so that we could be exalted. And the one who was life suffered our death so that we could not die but have life. That's the mind of Christ. That is what he's done for us. And if that is true, we ought also to have that same posture of heart toward one another that, and so that the city might experience this good news. Can you look at your life and say, my life is worthy of the gospel because it shows how good it is. And I can think, we all say no, so... That's what we're going to lean into a little bit, okay? So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and the band's going to come up. We're going to leave through one more song um, as a response, going to do to deal with what God's uh, doing in us here. And so we'll be out here in just a few minutes, okay? So just please let the Holy Spirit um, speak. So with your head bowed, eyes closed, nothing magical about these moments. Uh, the first thing we need to do as we look at our lives and say, man, this is this beautiful vision of the church. This is why Jesus came. It's to make an us, to covet an us together so that together we reflect more of the glory of God than we would separated. But that means we get a covenant together. That means we, there's work to be done, commitment to be had. And so we want to just begin to say, God, give us eyes to see these things as true, that we might really approve what is excellent, to see that, no, 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 this really is the greatest treasure. This really is the thing of greatest value. And so we want to pray, even right now, God, give me eyes to see that you are better. And we want to repent to say, when we see that, we say, it's not been our perspective in so many ways, in so many ways it has. We are trying to be faithful. We want to go into this new year even more expecting to see more happen, to be more united together. So we repent of all the things that we've not done, all the things that we have done, and we say, God, we want to see you move, but we want to get out of the way. You cannot fill full hands. So we empty them. And in our confessing and in our repenting, we believe together as, as family that Jesus has paid our debt. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He's faithful to empower us to be more than we could even ask of or even think of. 
He promises to do this in us. So Jesus, would you come? Would you be our righteousness? Would you intercede for us as I know you're doing even now? Would you, Holy Spirit, empower us to hate sin? And would you empower us to love one another with your love? Would you unite us in a greater way, in a deeper way, that we might see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So Lord, I pray that the only reason that we would be humble, so Lord, I ask that you humble us, that there would not be any rivalry or vain glory that we fight for here. There would not be any divisions in our church or any church in the world. Well, I pray that for the church, that the watching world would see what it looks like for broken, messed up people to be united together around a perfect Christ. And so, Lord, would you humble us as we gaze on the cross and in the resurrection that we would say, what an amazing mystery that your grace would come to me and that that grace would change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.